In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today. Because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. All right, Connor. So, listen. After the last week, it looks like it's going to be ten weeks before we see any games. Um, the government came out with their living with COVID plan, and to put it mildly, it seemed like it was a bit all over the place. And this is in a GEA context. I'm not getting into any other context because their living with COVID plan exempted intercounty football, along with professional, elite horse racing, and all those things, um, as a level four sport. And then it said no sports were permitted under level five. So, like, I mean, you're scratching your head going, what's going on there? Then you realise Intercounty um, or Michal Martin confirmed that the elites will continue. There's no question about that. There may be an issue there. I'll check with the transmission of that, but there's no issue in terms of policy. In terms of the sports situation, it still applies in relation to elite sports. And coming up to April 5th, we'll look at what more we can do in relation to some sports and outdoor activities. So, uh GA got their elite status back, but not under level five colors. Zero has changed in, in in that regard. Yeah, you're talking about it being a bit all over the shop. Whatever about the wider context, definitely in a sporting context, Willie. I mean, there was at one stage, I think, if you were to interpret the plan literally, there would have been no Six Nations, you know, there would have been yeah. no horse racing. Uh, and then that had to be clarified immediately. And what really annoys me about that is... Um, this plan has been talked about, this living with COVID plan has been talked about for a long time. It's like, you know, any any kind of criticism of, of what the government have been doing for the last few weeks was kind of counteracted with, listen, there'll be clarity provided in this living with COVID plan. And, <laughs> and then they come out with this. And, you know, like it's, and, and what I can't get is that, like, surely this is sense checked every step of the way. You know, surely it's proofread and sense checked. And that if, 
you know, somebody raises the point that, oh, look at what you've done there with level four and level five for elite sport. That's going to be that's going to cause confusion to the point that it took about 10 minutes within the plan being released for. Well, obviously, we're from a GA coming at it from a GA angle, Woolley, but like people could see problems immediately. And Michal Martin had to address that in the press conference immediately after announcing the plan. So, listen, that's just really annoying from a GA context. I, I suppose the way I looked at it, Woolley, was. I know we were talking about the last couple of weeks about speculation about maybe an earlier return, but in the initial, when the GA made that statement a few weeks ago, they said that they can't envisage a return to action until Easter time. And that seems to have been borne out now anyway, the, you know, through all the jigs and the rules. Yeah. Not going to be in a position to let, let inter-county players go back to train until at least after Easter. So as far as I suppose I'm concerned, I, I expected that to be the case anyway. The confusion hasn't helped at all. But at least I think because the GA said that at the beginning, I think there would be big push, especially with all the other elite sports allowed for the foreseeable. I think there would be a big push from the GA to make sure that the GA is allowed to go ahead or that gets that elite status or, you know, level four applies from Easter time and that we're good to go come the start of May. Yeah, I think that's what will happen to start back training at Easter. Look, you know my feelings on this. I'm, I would be a little bit more liberal um, rather than the GEA being a bit more conservative, you know, regarding uh, coming back. But John Horan is confident of finishing the whole year, even if we start in May. Um, he said during the week, he said, we saw you saw last year we're very flexible. We got through a full club programme, we completed the league and we got the inter-county championship played. So, like, I mean, that's fair enough. And if you were to compare to last year, we're still kind of ahead of where we were last year. So yeah. the only disappointing thing is that we thought we'd get a much better year this year than last year we thought you last year was such a unique year that will never be seen again and here we are looking pretty much at repeating almost identically what we did last year by the look saying only obviously the split season will go inter-county first um and club second i saw kieran whelan tweeting he's saying not looking like any inter-county ga until at least may surely club first now unreasonable to leave club players waiting until um, september to play championship games after a tough few months it Intercounty later in the year with some crowds, hopefully after the vaccine program. All fair points from from Wheelo. The only thing is, club wouldn't be guaranteed of going ahead in May the way these things. The vaccine's been rolled out so slow. Will we be at level three? That's the worry. I was saying last last week. Start with um, start with the intercounty league, then go club, then go championship. I think from the way the GE are talking, they're gonna they're gonna start with intercounty and they're gonna finish. Um, finish the club season and maybe the club season might push on into January, February last year. It's not something that we're not used to anyway, if we're being honest, Connor. Yeah, um, like I think as, as long as there's no kind of hiccups in between, that that's what they'll do. That's what they'll do. They'll, they'll start with the Intercounty League in May and progress the season as planned. If there's any more hiccups between now and then, um, I think my hunch is that then they'll they'll turn around and go club first like it was last season. Um, just because I think at that stage, they might it might be too much to try and get the league ran off first and then go into club as as kind of you suggested, but as well as that, I think if there was to be any more hiccups, they might say right, we'll just leave it until, you know, leave the league until later in the year, maybe September October, when there could even be crowds in for the league games, and then you know try and try and generate some revenue that way. So, yeah, um, yeah that's that was my only thing with Kieran Whelan's that like that was perfectly reasonable for club players. I mean, it's not necessarily fair. To leave them waiting, but yeah. But the only thing is, kind of like the cl the club, the club can continue on as the intercounty goes on, just with their league. It's not like club players yeah. will be doing nothing. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I was just thinking that, as to Kieran Whelan's suggestion, I was thinking, yeah, that's not necessarily it's not necessarily fair to leave the club players waiting. But you could say, all right, let's start the club season in May, and then we get to May, and then as you said, the vaccine rollout is slow, 
um, the restrictions haven't been, you know, reduced in, but they haven't been relaxed to level three, which is where, where we now know a championship is, is going to go ahead. And you could end up with a situation like last like last year where different counties are on different levels and some club championships are allowed to go ahead and some aren't. Oh, right. Okay. So do you know what? Do you know I, what? Do, do, this conversation is getting boring. I'm going to move on. Like, I mean, <laughs> I really don't want to get into this bloody I thing. I really don't. don't. Let, let's, let's, let's move on to the All-Stars and Mayo were absolutely rode with two All-Stars. Let's take it from there. <laughs> well, is that you speaking, Wooly, or are you going to allow me to vent here? Um, hey, Mayo, Mayo were rode, yeah. Mayo were absolutely rode. Two All-Stars for a team that beat Roscommon away, Galloway away, destroyed the Munster champions and performed pretty well against Dublin, better than any other team. Better than Cavan, for example, who got who got one more. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I perfectly agree with that. And, and, and if you put it that way, I mean, like, if, if you look at it coldly like that, Cavan were hammered out the gate by Dublin. You know, there was it was never really a contest from the get-go. I don't have a problem with Cavan getting three All-Stars because no. they were the story of the season for me. Do you know, I, like, I know it didn't happen for them for Dublin, but, like, they were involved in unbelievable games in Ulster, driven by some unbelievable individual performances. They won their first Ulster title in 23 years. They were the story of the season for me. They deserve 23 All-Stars. Uh, they deserve three all stars. Sorry, twenty three all stars. But yeah, I like I, I absolutely have would have to make a case for Mayo because if you if you look at it, if you look at it again, I mean, with fifteen minutes to go in the game, you could say that Dublin were in control, but they were still like Mayo were within a point, I think, or two points of Dublin, and yeah. all of a sudden, then within you know ten minutes later, Dublin win by four or five points. They have nine all stars, and Mayo only have two. Now, if I boil down into it, Willie, do you know, I and if you boil it down into the individual cases, I think Paddy Durkin is the hardest done by. That's it's the big no. That Paddy Durkin for Owen Merchant is the biggest no-brainer. Yeah. Paddy Durkin was outstanding for Mayo. Owen Merchant got on with his job. Yeah, pretty much. And like even Paddy Durkin was outstanding for Mayo. He got injured in the in the first couple of minutes of the All Ireland final. Let's go off at half time. But he was still marking Kieran Kilkenny in the first half of the All Ireland final when Kieran Kilkenny had very little influence. Yeah. And in fact, when Paddy Durkin went off, then Kieran Kieran Kilkenny came into the game hugely and had a massive impact on the game. So I think he was really hard done by. If I make another individual cases for, this is maybe where my point isn't as strong, Willie, is that like the other individual cases for Mayo players for me would be first off Owen McLaughlin and then maybe Tommy Conroy. And they're kind of hard done by because they were, they just, it didn't happen for them in the final. But yeah. what's harsh about the all-star selection then is you could say that for Cavan. I mean, like Cavan got to an Ulster final. It didn't happen for really any of their players against Dublin. And they had a better chance of selection because they didn't get through to the final, if that makes any sense. No, so, no, that makes perfect sense. It doesn't make sense. But like you could also say that Galligan didn't perform well. Faulkner didn't pl- perform well against um, against Dublin. So why did they not suffer yeah, from exactly. the performance? And why does Owen McLaughlin suffer for that performance? Because he was a real standout player, you'd have to say, for Mayo right up until up until the final. Like, I mean, it, it is a bit of a stranger. Like Dublin got nine and Limerick got nine. Nine is way too many as far as I'm concerned, Connor. And I was tweeting this the other day that, like, does nine All-Stars, like three-fifths of your team, does it dilute the honour of getting it? Like, I mean, uh, uh, geez, I genuinely think a cap of five All-Stars should be given to the All-Ireland champions and give it as an honour for one or two lads on teams and spread it out more. This has been creeping up over the last while where suddenly you're getting it used to be five six then a six seven then a seven eight now nine all-stars it it probably is a little bit harder to argue with Limerick's nine all-stars because see Dublin are unfortunate in that they cruise through so many games their players never have to really stand out that much and they're you know like it's difficult Limerick came through harder games and you know we're 
maybe I, I kind of had Conor Whelan for Aaron Gillan and maybe had Limerick on eight. I had Dublin with seven, Austers, like which does reflect their dominance. But nine is nine is too many. Yeah, the danger in that, I suppose, is that you're giving out token all-stars because the team was dominant, let's say, right? So, like, I'm not necessarily saying it applies to you. Owen Merchant is my big one. Like, I'm a big fan of Owen Merchant. Was he amazing this season? He was quite good. Was he as good as Paddy Durkin? No, I don't think so. And I'm not just saying that because I'm from Mayo. So, like, that's the that's the danger in that you're giving out token all-stars. And, like, something that used to annoy me is that, you know, you'd hear, and this might be more the Sunday game team of the year as opposed to the all-star selection, but they might pick somebody on the basis that they've been brilliant for a long time and never got an all-star. <laughs> the Ryan Giggs player of the year yeah, type one. You know, that's it, you know, and they, they might have been hard done by, like I remember, like again, big fan of Donica Welsh, right, from Kerry, but I remember years ago it was Pat Spillane was like, well, he's been so hard done by for years, he deserves an all-star this year. So they were weighing up on his contribution from the last few years as opposed to that season itself, which is, that's what the All-Stars are for. It's for your performance in that season. It's yeah. not a, it's not a, you know, well done award for being great the last five years or being hard done by. So that like, to me, I, I, I can't speak as much for the Hurling because I didn't maybe pay as much attention, but for me, maybe the Dublin and nine was, it was a concerted effort to illustrate that Dublin were really the dominant, dominant well, team. Here's, here, but here's my thoughts on it, right? So the Sunday game team of the year, right? They picked their team of the year on, on the Sunday night. Then the journalists do the actual All-Stars. Now, I'm beginning to think that the Sunday game team of the year influences the journalists to a too high an extent because there's no differences in the hurling team. Now, I'm going to give them a pass for that because when we were picking our All-Stars, we admitted that the, the, the Sunday game team of the year is very hard to find too many differences. I think we fa- might have found one or two, but the, the, like the, I think the hurling team kind of picked itself um, this year. The football team, there was only one change from the one the journalists picked to the one the pundits picked. And that was Faulkner in for Paddy Durkin. Now, that's just pretty much incredible uh, for me that Faulkner, who didn't have a good game against Dublin, and Paddy Durkin, who had a good half against Dublin and as strong a year. It just doesn't make sense. How they came up against each other, I don't know. But here's my thing. Like, do the journalists follow the lead of the pundits? Because let's be honest, journalists interview pundits and they interview players and they interviewed all these pundits as they were players. And if there's a hierarchy on whose opinion is more important in GA, it's ex-players are well ahead of journalists. So when the ex-players, the Gooches, the Henry Shefflins, you know, the real high profile ones, when they give their team of the year, is that compromising what the journalists kind of, you know, think themselves? Yes, maybe, Willie. Like I, I, like I'm very wary of speaking for the. Like I've never been on an All Star committee or anything like that. And from what I, you never, I, you never will after contributing to this show either. I never, no, I never will <laughs> after what we've been talking about for the last five minutes. But I am conscious that like this debate arises every year, and I know that like then the journalists who are involved in the All Star committee will talk about the process they went through, and it's not yeah. simply fair to them it's not simply a case of oh listen we saw the Sunday game team of the year so our team has to has to change to reflect that in fact it's probably unfortunate for them that they probably have an idea of the team in their head anyway and then the, the Sunday game team of the year comes along and probably is pretty similar to what theirs is so I don't know like I, I as, as I said I can't speak for the process I'd say a lot goes into it you know uh, a little bit more than just kind of reflecting what the Sunday game team of the year is but I'd be with you in terms of definitely in the football one nine especially given the year that Dublin had. I mean, it was just so, they were on cruise control the whole time. And like, obviously that means they're better than everybody else. 
but does it mean that they should have got nine players on the team of the year? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. It, like, and it, listen, this is very unfortunate for the own merchants, the Nile Scullies and all this, because if you're giving All-Stars to Dublin and, you, you know, in around the five All-Stars, Kilkenny's getting one, Conn's getting one, Fenton's getting one, Cluxton's probably getting one if the Mayo goalie doesn't ride him. And if, if, if you're looking, you know, you're going to have a James McCarthy. And let's be honest, these are the special outstanding players that drive that team. And that's what an All-Star is. These are the lads that get the Man of the Match awards. That's what All-Stars is. The, the people that get All-Stars aren't just a cog in the wheel. That's not what, as far as I'm concerned. Like, for example, Garod McKiernan versus Niall Scully in the forwards. Garod McKiernan drove Cavan to a, an Ulster Championship. Niall Scully didn't drive Dublin anywhere. He got along with his job. He's a very good player and he got along with it quietly and efficiently. Who's All-Star material? You know, this is the one I, I always come back with. If you're just in a good team, well, then you're laughing. You know, you you yeah. you know, you just really don't have to have a shit year, or you know, you don't have to be very understated, and you'll you'll end up getting an all star if you win an all Ireland. But anyways, uh, Brian Fenton, one player of the year, Grode Hegarty, no real no complaints, not no real complaints, no complaints at all. I see some people complaining that Killian O'Connor, when you see his stats, you know, it's just absolutely off the charts this year. And like there is a case maybe for for Killian O'Connor versus Fenton, but Fenton was just so dominating. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I would definitely wouldn't argue with that. He picks up, it's his fifth All-Star, his sixth All-Ireland, his second player of the year. And he's only the second player ever, along with Trevor Giles, uh, to do that. He did it. He told a, a, a nice little one about getting a text off Jack O'Shea and how humble he was and all this kind of thing. And I don't know, I kind of related a bit. There's something about Jack O'Shea. I've had him at live shows and it's Jack O'Shea. Jack O'Shea is just like, I don't know what elevates Jack O'Shea above all those other players in that era. But this was just, and I can only imagine if I think of Jack O'Shea like that, what Brian Fenton being a midfielder and his father is from Kerry. And he told a, he told a funny story of, uh, Jack, he was in Croke Park with the father. And Jack O'Shea was doing a bit of punditry work, punditry work on the sideline. And as he walked out, the crowd all started applauding him. And Fenton's father jumped up and went, go on, Jacko. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, this is this is the esteem Jack O'Shea is kind of held in. So, like, I suppose Brian getting the text off him. Brian, Brian will eclipse what anything Jack O'Shea uh, uh, achieved as far as I, I can see it with his age profile. In terms of honours, Wooly, yeah, he'll definitely, his, his honours role will be longer than Jack O'Shea. I mean, it's a debate for another day to compare the two of them, and especially when you're comparing players across eras, which is, you know, it's really tricky. You know, it's 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 nearly unfair on the uh, on both players, really, because they were just playing in completely different circumstances. But there are so, like, I, I'm only going on what I've seen of Jack O'Shea and what I've kind of heard about Jack O'Shea, but I just, I do like... I do like the kind of comparison between them because they're midfielders who absolutely have have had it all. Yeah, probably had like midfielders um, since then or in various different eras since that have specialised in, you know, you know, Darryl O'Shea was a great fielder. Sean, Sean Kavanagh was the man to, you know, get four or five points from play. Whereas Jack O'Shea and Brian Fenton could do, could do it all. You know, they were box to box. They could score. They were skillful. And they were just really inspirational leaders for their team. I mean, like, I can't. There's no way. Like, I wanted Killian O'Connor to win football of the year and he had a good case for it. Can I argue against Brian Fenton? Absolutely not. Like, I was going to say earlier on, when you were making the case about the All-Stars and the players that drive the teams, they're nearly at a disadvantage as well, is that, like, Brian Fenton, to get an All-Star every year, has to perform to Brian Fenton's standards. Do you know what I mean? Brian Fenton could have an unbelievable year, but if he's not as good as he was last year, that's probably going to be held against him. 
because he's been 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 so good for the last few years, and he's just again this year just unbelievable stuff, and no, no way I dispute him him getting football already. Yeah, Garud Hegarty won the hurler of the year. No real complaints from anyone really there. He was just phenomenal, and I love listening. I want to get Garud Hegarty on the on the show um, sometime because he's a very good interviewee and he's very honest. And uh, like to be honest, most of the Limerick lads are the same as that. They're the probably the hurling county that you like talking to uh, the most. But I, I love the way he admitted how much he wanted to win Hurler of the Year because you don't hear this that often. He says it's important to note what we achieved. It's important to note what we achieved as a team and what I achieved last night in terms of winning Hurler of the Year. Something I've always wanted to win. My motto was somebody has to win it, so why not you? If you're willing to put in the hard work, everything is achievable. So it was a brilliant night. I don't know. Like, I mean, is it just me or is the usual answer to that is ah, look, I don't really think of individual awards. You know, the most important thing was the team and, you know, at the end of the year, if the awards come the awards come but i don't really like to think about stuff like that is that is that the stock answer that you know you're supposed to get you're supposed to give it's either that or you know there really should have been 15 hurlers of the year you know? <laughs> yeah six or even 40 get the get the whole panel get the whole panel involved the whole backroom team the lot no that's the, your stock answer is exactly what you what you said there um just another reason for me to like garrod hegarty as you said i like he just comes across really well and just from from an anti-hurling snob point of view, he's spoken re- really well on how he wouldn't be the same player he was if it wasn't for football with his background as well. So just um, have to like that about him as well. But I think it's it's a really admirable thing to have. I mean, if you're if you're winning Hurler of the Year, well, chances are, well, unless you're from Mayo in, in the last couple of years and you're Lee Keegan, you're Andy Moore, and if you're winning Hurler of the Year, that means your team is winning the All-Ireland and that you've absolutely maxed out your own ability to, to, to the best it can be. And like, who doesn't want that? But it's just, I'm afraid, it, like it comes back to the kind of GA mentality in that people are nearly afraid to be seen as that ambitious or, yeah. you know, to put themselves out there to be taken down a peg. So, you know, it's it's all the more refreshing to me to hear people like Garrod Hegarty talk like that and, and hopefully kind of more people will take his lead as well. Because I saw John Milan, um, he was quoted somewhere and he was talking about you don't think of All-Stars at the start of the year, you know, you think of All-Irelands or something like that. And I was just thinking, every year I played, it never actually worked out for me. <laughs> but every year, every year I played, I daydreamed about, first you daydream about having a good year. You First you daydream, fair enough, about winning something. But you'd also definitely 100% connected to that is you performing well and wouldn't it be nice to win an All-Star like if I don't I just don't get how those kind of thoughts wouldn't be going through players heads especially players with commutes because that's bloody all you'd be thinking of while you're while you're driving in the car um, such a gripe with the All-Star committee Wally but it's certainly become <laughs> I actually have no gripe I have no gripe with my career actually this completely uh, they've made every every decision they made regarding my weird career uh, was probably right all-star wise anyways um anyways connor we know congress is happening this weekend and the most interesting motion is motion 20 it's a motion to tackle cynical play in hurling and in football to discuss motion 20 uh with us referees development chairman willie barrett joins us on the line now uh willie you're finally going to clean up hurling <laughs> that's well uh, we hope to clean up cynical play to be honest with us. Um, because I'm a member of the rules um, standing committee and the playing rules and this motion is coming from us in relation to um, the penalty that we are we are hoping will be will be passed uh, in um, the Congress this coming weekend and basically if you want I'll just go through the motion briefly if I could um, yeah. in hurling and football um, we are asking that a penalty be awarded for a situation where a foul is committed by 
by an opponent inside the 20 meter line or inside the arc in both hurling and in football. Um, and the fellows we're talking about would be um, tripping, pulling to the ground, etc. And whereas in football, we have at, at present a black card and a player is sent to the sin bin for 10 minutes. We're now in addition to that proposal for football that a penalty would be awarded. In hurling, that foul is covered at the moment by a yellow card and um, a free in being awarded. We're now proposing that a penalty be awarded for that particular foul and the player be sent to the bin for 10 minutes and again, we would award a yellow card. Right, OK, so there is going to be a little difference um, between football and hurling. The penalty and sin bin inside the 20-metre line is exactly the same, but the sin bin for cynical fouls throughout the field applies to football, but in hurling, it's only the it's only the deliberate fouls inside the twenty meter line or the D. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's okay. Right. And and, yeah, and right. I suppose I suppose there, there wouldn't be the, there wouldn't be the same support or the same need for the sin bin, you know, right across the field in hurling. Well, we've seen. I think you know we we've been, believed that for a while. But looking reviewing the twenty twenty hurling championship, it's fair to say that um, it happened in a provincial level, and it certainly happened as well in the latter stages of the of the championship, and uh, which which means it's happening far more prevalent than it used to. I would say, and um, that's hence the need to, to bring in that that um, sanction now. Right. And like, I mean, you were on that standing committee on playing rules. Was the first um, draft of this for the for the sin bin to apply to cynical fouling all over the field? And then it was amended to just inside the 20 metre line. And I suppose like there has been a big pushback from hurling people on, you know, this messing up the flow of the game. Yeah, that's right. You're correct in what you said there. That was the original, but it was... It was a winter management committee and came back and it was far, you know, it was it's more prescriptive now and that it has to be inside the 20 meter line or inside the air. Um, yeah, that's the reason for that. Right. And how, how has it been received? So I presume you've been doing a bit of uh, campaigning on it. Yeah, we, 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 I, I believe we're, we're you know, I, I would say certainly there was, there's, there's certainly hurling, uh, convincing the hurling fraternity would be, would be, a, would be a, a job itself, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I suppose um, you know that's that's our our job. But um, con- uh, the the football fraternity have already that situation uh, where we have a black hair and pull down. So but again, again in football, the penalty is new. Yeah. For a pull down inside the twenty meter line. Uh, obviously, the important thing to remember here: it must be a goal scoring opportunity. And that defines the decision as to whether or not, if it's not a goal scoring opportunity inside the 20 metre line in both holding and football, then it's it's um, it's only a free in. It it will, I suppose, um, test referees' interpretation of what a goal scoring opportunity is, because I suppose if like if it is a man just running through and goals and he's pulled down, that's very obvious. If there's a two on two situation. You know, does a referee say, well, that looks like that could have been a goal or it doesn't? You know, it it will add that little bit. Like, I'm trying to think of some issues different county boards might have or players might have, especially county boards, because they're the ones voting on it. Like, what what, what kind of feedback on, on that one are you getting? Well, you know, the feedback I'm getting is, is actually positive. And I, I hope that will be reflected next weekend. But I suppose if we look at, at, at right, a situation, if there's not more than one defender in straight line between the foul and and the goal. Right. Um, not counting the defender who committed the foul. 
that, that would be an interpretation for referees. And I suppose the other point is the distance between the, the offence and the goals. You know, the closer you are to the goal within that 20 metre or, or, or arc, the more likely the goal is going to opportunity. And the referee, I suppose, would be saying, you know, could he have got in his, his shot here? Would he have got in a shot on goal? If there was three, four defenders there and he had two more inside the defender that's there at present, then the chances are that one of the extra defenders would have blocked the shot. Therefore, it wouldn't be a goal-scoring opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So no, I mean, look at it, it, that has to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah. So I suppose, like, I mean, yeah. As a rule, maybe if there's only one, like, if it's a two-one-one, if it's you know, I, I suppose referees are just going to have to make a judgment call. And like, I would hate. I think I I would be in agreement with this, uh, Willie, because obviously the sin bin is there in football, but it's not a deterrent to pull someone down late in the game and take your sin bin, you know, and and prevent a goal. So I do think it's a good. It's a it's a good development. The, the the interpretation for the referee would be one thing I would be a little bit concerned about. Another thing um, some people would be concerned about is that the punishment is too big. So would the penalty not be deterrent enough? Because usually players are doing this purely to avoid the goal. You know, so this one is both yeah. the penalty and the sin bin. Yeah, well, of course, you know, we believe that goals are a very important part of both hurling and football. And to prevent a goal-scoring opportunity, we had games during during the summer there where there was a one-score game, and the player opted to pull down the player and give away a free free kick, yeah. thereby thereby conceding a point only but not a goal. But we believe the penalty has to reflect the seriousness of the offence. And you know, if you have a situation where he pulls down the defender coming out of the ball, he gets a black card and it's gone to send bin for ten minutes. So if he if he does the same up front and you give a penalty only, probably doesn't fit the crime. Well, yeah, he doesn't yeah. want to have to feel he gets ten minutes to send in, as I said, and and a black card. Well, if he does both goals, um, he, it's 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 only a penalty. Then I think that wouldn't reflect the the, the crime. So no, I no, that's true. No, that that it, would that, it's, it's, yeah, that would apply to football, but it wouldn't apply to hurling. And yeah, well, you know, in in that's true. That, that is the, the one situation we have that in hurling that at the moment is a yellow card. And, uh, you know, I suppose there is no black card in hurling. So yeah. that limited us in terms of, of, of um, what we could bring in, if you like, you know. Yeah, I saw Cork are going to a, a vote for it anyways. I was just reading there this morning. That, that's, that's, that's good. That's a big one. I, I think, you know, we, you know it'll be one delegate and, and there'll be, he'll have... He'd be representing so many people, depending on which county he's from, you know. So um, obviously, he, he, the delegate, I imagine, would have instruction from his county as, as to, to vote for it or not. But I think it's important that it's, you know, I expect there would be a good discussion on it. This is, for us, a major change in Gaelic games. And I think it would be, I think there's a, there's a bond of support out there now that wasn't there, we'll say, two years ago. Because the fact they've seen the fouls happening in provincial championships and all island series and semi-finals and even finals, so there is there is that bit of sport we have now. We feel it's an opportune time to deal with cynical play. 
Yeah, no, definitely. The mood definitely has changed um, from even the pundits we have on the hurling show here. Um, they've definitely kind of come around to thinking something needs to be done. And I think this is the perfect solution for hurling without kind of polluting it with the, the, the fouls all over the field. I don't think that's maybe as big an issue. Another one, Willie, here I want to ask you before I let you go is it's a separate thing that uh, it's come up on the show a few times this year um, from different fellas. And you're obviously referees uh, development committee chairman and you're an ex-hurling referee. Why don't you just allow the throw ball in hurling? It's so hard to actually tell whether these players are throwing it or not throwing it. Is it that big of a skill that it would make it so much easier if you just allow, maybe for the little, you know, the little short, small ones to allow them, whereas a longer pass has to be the more exaggerated uh, to, or you know, the clear strike? Well, I would say, first of all, this is a big challenge for a phrase that... Uh, Referee in any game to know whether he threw the ball or not is difficult. Yeah. Um, it has never been proposed, and right. uh, there seems to be a reluctance to propose that that he can throw the ball. Uh, if he throws the ball, it's a foul. So, obviously, <laughs> but um, I don't think there's an appetite to, to, to allow that situation develop. I think uh, hand passing the ball, and obviously, the next thing would, would follow on from that column would be can he throw the ball in football? So, I, I believe, I think we have to cut, cut cut to the bone in this one in, in hurling and uh, ensure now I know it's it's very topical at times and I've had pundits saying that it's holding up the game but you know a pull down to the ground catches the ball uh, catching the ball three times in hurling that would slow up the game and you have to you have to penalise it yeah yeah, so that's this true this is no different for me this this um, is in a long time this this, this um, hand pass rule so I mean I think we have to get better at what we do at it. But I really appreciate that it is difficult. And if a player is attacking with the speed of the game, and there are many referees who are on the field, and he's 13 metres from goal and he hand-passed the ball across to the full forward, it's nearly humanly impossible to know if he did throw it or not. Yeah. You know, so obviously, at times, umpires come into play. But you've got to be sure that he threw the ball before you can penalise it in that circumstances. Now, I think we've improved as a, a refrain body in terms of the hand pass, but not the standard everyone would like. Well, that's the thing. The one I see is the hardest one is if a fella's in a rook and he's trying to get it out of it and a little underhanded throw back out to another fella, which is very hard for a ref to tell whether that, you know, they're the ones... Suppose, yeah, one of the problems we have in hurling is that I suppose if you want to go back, uh, hurling was contested between two people going out for the ball and so on. Maybe a third player coming and pick it up or whatever. But nowadays you have six, seven, eight people fighting for the one ball. Yeah. And, um, you know, that makes it that bit more difficult for the referee. And uh, as you mentioned there, the rook, how does he, where is he standing? How does he know which side the ball will come out? Will it come out at the stand side or the far side? So he has to, to position himself in the best possible side to give himself a view, and even then he could be totally wrong. So it's not easy. Um, it's very easy to adjudicate when, when there's two people going for a ball. Yeah, no, definitely. Come here, I'll let you go, Willie. Thanks for explaining that for us. Who's do, who's going to do the pro case at, at Congress? Are you going to do the speaking or who's going to make the case for it? I, I'm presenting that that, that one, uh, Colin. So. Okay, great stuff. Well, best of, best of luck with it, Willie. Thanks very much for taking the call. Thanks, Colin. Bye-bye. Yeah, good stuff from Willie there, um, Connor. I don't know, like the big question coming out of this is whether 
the the sin bin and the penalty is a bit harsh. I'm I'm pro it. I don't know what you think. Maybe the penalty on its own would be enough of a deterrent without throwing the player who did it into the sin bin. It's like a double whammy. It's like the whole soccer thing, a penalty plus the red card. Jesus, you know, now the game's ruined, etc. Yeah, but I, I think the circumstances that the, the motion allows for wouldn't be as harsh as it has been in soccer, if that makes any sense. Like I'm trying, yeah, trying to ten minutes, not not a red card. Yeah, like I'm trying to think of like some examples. So it would stop the, the the main example that came to mind for me was Owen McLaughlin in the Connacht final. Um so like if you have the added like if he got it, he'd gladly take a sin bin there, of course. Yeah. You know I mean? So but if you have the ex, extra it would it would stop it basically in the last minute. You know, in the, in the last couple of minutes of games, where where you oh, know yeah. that it's not just it's not just the simbin is the penalty. You have an actual penalty there as well. So I ah, yeah, no, but my point is not the penalty. I agree with the penalty. My point is that the penalty is the no brainer. Yeah, yeah. And the simbin on top of that is 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 you know a little bit too much. Anyways, I'm not too I'm not too strong on it either way. I think it's I I'd, I'd be happy for that to come true uh, or to come into both. If what what do you think? No, I think so. Yeah, I think so. It has to be a deterrent, really. Well, like and the, like. You know, if um, I think the Simbin combined with the penalty is a real, is a real, real strong deterrent. You know what I mean? So I like again, I the thing on this one is that like my opinion will be formed on this after I see a couple of examples and then I decide whether the individual examples are harsh enough. But uh, in on paper as well, it looks quite, it looks fairly fair to me. This is where you'd miss Conan on the show now to come up with some doomsday scenario of how this is never going to work and how we really need to stop this from coming in. <laughs> Hello to Conan. We all miss you if you're listening, Conan, or have you given up on us uh, completely? I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, a few more motions here, Connor. is the split season is another one. And this is going to sail through, I'd imagine. This is motion 12. Um, it's aimed at structuring a split season, drawing a clear line between club and intercounty. We all know what it is. Um, the big thing on this one is that under the split season, the all Ireland finals will be played on or before the 29th Sunday of the year, which is mid-July, which is a huge departure. Like, I mean, it's crazy how much opposition there was for this down through the years. Oh, we can't lose September. Not only are we losing September, we're losing August and everybody's perfectly fine with it now. Why, Connor? Because they saw it one year. People need to see this change. They're terrified of it until they actually see it in practice. So we won't spend any more time on that. I think we'll we'll both be in uh, in agreement that that's, you know, that's a good thing. Limiting, another one is limiting the the senior championships, every club championship to 16 teams. This is an interesting one. They obviously want to do this because when the All Ireland final is played in mid July, um, every club championship you'd imagine will start then August the first. I'd imagine this is a stipulation that this just has to happen. And what's the point in having one team with thirty-two teams and another team with sixteen, and one has it played off much quicker than the other, and then you have one county sitting around waiting for a provincial club while the other one's still getting, you know, ready for playing away with their bloody back doors and their, you know, different kind of structures. This streamlines the whole thing. So there shouldn't be too much of a of a difference when all the county finals are landing. You'd imagine all county finals should be played in a two or three week window um, under this. Um, so I think that's a good, that, it's probably a good thing to do it. Now, Galway have some issues with this and we'll get to Tipperary in a minute. Tipperary are back in it. Galway are not back in it. So Galway chairman, Paul Bellew, this is the only county I would give a break to on this. 
is that Galway have 24 uh, senior teams and they, Paul Bellew, their chairman, believes any county should have control of its own championship. I disagree with that. But the problem with Galway is there's no provincial club, um, Connor. So they're kind of being left high and dry by having 16 teams unless they do two groups of eight and have loads of different group championship games. You know, they're, they're, they, they need to have a longer championship so that they're timing it well to be getting in at all or in semi-final stage. Yeah, it'd be, be strange to make an exception. Like, I know that there are valid reasons for it, but it'd be strange to make an exception for, for Galway on its own, wouldn't it? Like, uh, I, I don't know, maybe, and like, even 24, it's not a clean, like, it's not a clean split there. Like, if you were to split it, um, like other counties might do into senior and intermediate, 12 and 12 isn't as clean as 16. But just to, uh, uh, for the motion in general, Willie, like, I, I'd, be, I'd be very much in favour of it because to me, and like, we can talk about the All-Ireland Championship as a whole, but like 16 teams just strikes me has plenty to have in one championship. And like, if you have any more, I think you start to see inequality that that that, that we've seen in the county championship for years. And, and what happens is like, you know, teams, teams stagnate for me. Like they just, you know, teams that are in a, teams that are in an expanded championship with no fear of kind of, you know, relegation or promotion or anything like that. They just exist. And, you know, they, they, they kind of stagnate. Whereas if you introduce, if you make it more com- compact and you kind of make it less teams, well, then the, it, it brings that sort of stuff into the mix. And, you know, if you get relegated, you have the carrot of coming back up straight away and stuff like that. So I just, I'd be in favour of of limiting like to in 60, whatever about the Galway case in general, I do like the idea of, of limiting a championship to 16 teams. Yeah. Tipperary are in favor of it. Uh, funnily enough, they have 32 senior teams. Um, their chairman, Joe Kennedy has gone publicly to say that they are in favor of the motion. And like, I mean, this is a big, big step for Tipperary because not only have the 32 senior teams, they have a, a North championship, a, a mid championship, yeah. West East, all these things. And these are connected to the knockout stages. So all this would have to be ripped up. So I was really surprised and impressed by Tipperary um, that they would actually be happy to go along um, with this because, um, you know, it would be uh, it would be a huge departure um, for them. Another one here, the last one we're going to talk about is a GPA motion. And, this, I'll tell you the motion first. The GPA motion is players must complete an online anti-doping training to be part of the match day panel and therefore tested. Now, is this before every game, Connor? Because if this is before every game, I would be 100% against this. This is, it, players have enough to be worried about without going on that. But I do agree that every player at inter-county level should have to do an online anti-doping uh, training to be part of the panel at the start of the year. Once is probably enough because we saw the situation with Carlo last year where a fella joined a squad and he got caught for some uh, bloody supplement and he said, well, I was never told anything about this. You know, so any player as part of a panel should have passed this. Do you think, do you are you reading this as that they have to do this to be part of every match day panel or just at the start? No, I don't think it was part of, I don't think it was part of every, I could be wrong with it, Bully, but I, I didn't read it as part of the match day panel, uh, every match day panel. I don't think so. I think it was just, you know, they, they completed the, at the start of the year and then they're kind of subject to testing throughout the year like everybody yeah. is. Do you know what I mean? But like the online anti-open training was, what to me is a no-brainer. I mean, Ray Walker was your man in Carlo. Yeah. Um, and mid thirties, I think uh, you know, came late back to the panel. Claimed that he claimed that his that he wasn't educated properly on the anti-doping procedures. So you know, it like it's a no-brainer to me that everybody has to complete it. And not only everything, everyone has to complete it fully. Like something brought in nearly uniform across the board that it's taken out of that it's that's a it's a national thing as opposed to the individual counties have to, having to look after it. Because I think 
after the Ray Walker thing happened, it you know it emerged that like some players had huge knowledge of what the anti-doping kind of training was, whereas in other counties it seemed to be taken as a kind of a token measure. As in, oh, here, listen, you have to tick a few boxes on this online thing. It'll only take a few minutes, maybe something yeah. like that. And we well, saw. So. I am very guilty of that stuff myself. Yeah. Those online training courses, like you can nearly go to the to the answers and have a whack at them, and then go back reading if you get if you get one wrong. Yeah, well, the the, 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 <laughs> the classic one was the GA one last year. Before, um, so obviously, which was great about the GA last year was that you had to complete um you had to complete a survey before every training session about your um you know your, your whether you had a high temperature, all this sort of stuff, COVID symptoms. But before you had to. Before you had to do it, you had to complete a survey on the GA website. And again, you could take it as many times as you want. It was meant to be you read you read a passage, then you had yeah, to yeah, the question. Yeah. But I'd say loads of people were just chanting around with the questions and hopefully they got they got, you know, a pass mark or whatever. But uh no, just the important thing is the online anti-doping thing. To me, I read that as you just have to do that at the start of the year. Make sure you're educated on what you can and can't do are the, the do's and don'ts basically. So for me, to avoid a situation like Ray Walker in future, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, no, I agree with that. We leave the Congress. That's on this weekend, uh, the GA Congress. So we'll see what comes out of that. So the Irish Independent, uh, Connor, ran a survey last Saturday. Um, and the headline on the front page said, our exclusive survey reveals rival counties say don't defund the dubs. Um, I couldn't believe what I was reading. And another person who couldn't believe what he was reading is former Westmead footballer John Canellan. And he joins us on the line now. You were as shocked as I was, John. Uh, yeah, um, I, I was, Wooly. Uh, look, at th- thanks for having us on. Um, much appreciated. Well, you know, I think the 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 original article that came out, uh, I think Conor McKeown um, in the Independent uh, had an article on the Friday. It kind of it was like you know the the, the headline that you uh, read out there, and you know I, I saw this and I kind of said I suppose in in light of what we've been trying to do for the last number of months, I suppose since the 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 aftermath of the Leinster final. I was really kind of expecting the worst, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and uh, Saturday, I think I was I was woken by a crying baby at about uh, six in the morning. So it was grand. I was able to get up. Um, I I read the article and I kind of said I, I read through the responses and I actually there's there's a, there's a kind of a, a number of us who were kind of working away in the background and I texted the lads and I just said, guys, this isn't nearly as bad as what we what what we might have expected. From yesterday's article, and um, so yeah, I was I was shocked. Uh, I you know I was I was surprised surprised by the headline, um, but I, particularly when you know I, I think the, the the survey the 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 manner in which the survey was carried out and and the question was posed, and probably the uh, method by which it could be answered, it left so much for subjectivity and interpretation yeah. that it certainly wasn't a, you know, it just wasn't a, a yes or a no when the headline certainly seemed to suggest that, you know, the majority of county chiefs across the across the country were in favour of, of not touching the dubs funding, which I just look at I don't think by certainly my reading and, and any reasonable person's reading reflected what the responses were. Well, that was it. When I read it, like, I mean, it, it looked like about a third were in favour of cutting it. And that was it. The rest were either undecided or they said no. So I don't know where the headline was coming from. But the reason it annoyed me, um, John, is because obviously I have kind of campaigned against this unfair funding 
for a good few years. And since last year's Leinster final, you've been doing an awful lot of work on this and you've actually taken it a step further in that you're bringing a motion to Congress for 2022 and you've sent detailed analysis to all of the clubs and the county boards in the country in preparation for this motion in 2022. It's fantastic stuff. Tell us a little bit more about how this has been received, um, you know, and and uh, what you've gone about doing. Yeah, um, look, at so you've you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, so, yeah, look, our, our plan basically, as you said, it's targeted for Congress um, 2022. That's kind of been the, the plan for the start. Look at, I mean, um, as as you know, I suppose change change doesn't come about quickly in in the GA, and certainly kind of in <clears throat> in the midst of a pandemic, it was decided. Look, I mean, if it's it, it, it's it's you know it's a significant enough uh, change that we're that we're looking for. That really, I think a, a campaign of of you know about eighteen months is what's probably going to do this to to bring about some meaningful change and run really. To have a prolonged discussion over that kind of uh, period of time, so yeah, so the, we we decided we'd target Congress 2022, and as you know, like the the real kind of the objective of the motion um, is to really, I suppose, games development funding from certainly from my analysis of it at the moment is really distributed on on an ad hoc basis. And without any kind of business case analysis for each county, certainly, certainly, absolutely zero level of means testing of of, of counties as to uh, you know their their need um, yeah. and, and and projects that are that, that that counties are trying to achieve. So it's really about putting structures in place around uh, the distribution the distribution of games and development funding. I suppose it's really important, kind of at this stage. So just so that everybody is absolutely aware what games and coaching development money goes towards, like it, it, that that's money that's spent, obviously, as as you know, for Dublin have rolled out a fantastic uh, games promotion officer program, coach education programs uh, in their clubs and that kind of thing. So it really does, it goes to the, it goes to the grassroots um, of, of the association and in the coaching end of it. Now, I think, this debate sometimes gets a little bit lost because it's seen as like sour grapes for the dubs. Like I'm, I'm a huge admirer of the current Dublin team and everything that they've achieved. But I suppose the manifestation of all of the um, games development funding and, and, I, and Tom Ryan was on your podcast, uh, I think last year, Woolly, and he was trying to argue that, well, you know, that games development funding has actually no impact on, um, on, on the senior team. Like, yeah. I mean, that would just go against every kind of coaching, uh, you know, the best Short practice. In the, like, I mean, you know, if 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 coaching, if if improving the standard of coaching your kids and 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 the youth uh, doesn't have an impact on the first team, well, then I'm sure there's the likes of Premiership teams who were investing huge sums in their academies would probably have a thing or two to say about that. Like, you know, it's just a nonsense to say it doesn't affect uh, the senior team. But you know, in any event. What people need to remember is, and, and I know Pat Tehan, I was on an interview with them recently, had said that, look, this the, the funding that goes into Dublin, it's not like we're neglecting the other counties in Leinster and around the country, but it absolutely, in my in our view, does. I mean, if they're uh, investing, certain, let's say, 40% of the total, or between 30 and 40% of the total games development allocation, that absolutely comes at the cost of 
um, kids and, and coaching structures uh, around around the country. So that's, I suppose, it's important that we know where that games development funding uh, goes. Um, now, getting back to, to answering your question, uh, like the, the support that we've received, um, look, as I said, we sent out the email to every club secretary and county board secretary. At the moment, we have in excess of 16 counties uh, where we have at least one club who have already approved the motion within their executive and uh, proposing to put it towards their county congress for, for next year. And what we what we hope to do is, is to follow that up in the next number of weeks um, with a, a follow-up email um, just to any of the other clubs who haven't got in contact yet um, and seeing if there's anything that we can do or, or perhaps we can jump on a on a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call and, um, and and have a discussion with them just to explain exactly what where where we're coming from on it. So, look at it. It's it's, it's and I suppose on Twitter and social media it's received um, quite a lot of backing as 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 you can see. So, look at my my original letter after the Leinster final got quite a bit of traction. Clearly, it's resonated with a lot of people, and that's been reflected in the in the responses that we've gotten so far. Yeah, I think the crux of the, the like the crux of your argument and what you want to achieve is you know was written down in your letter and it said all coaching and development funding must be allocated to individual counties on an equal basis based on registered GA members in the preceding year um, in each county up to a maximum variance of five percent. Any proposal to allocate coaching and development funding in excess of five percent of a five percent variance must be brought to the annual congress every two years for approval with a transparent plan and business case for such increased funding. That seems perfectly fair to me. Every county gets games development money on an equal basis with a 5% variant. At the moment, we're seeing Dublin getting just dwarfing other counties, you know? And like, I mean, this is just yeah. accepted. And it's, the problem is, John, without you doing the work that you're doing and maybe bringing this motion to Congress and hopefully it gets passed, is, is I, I think it's laziness, John. Just let it roll, let it roll, let it roll. Let's not change it. Yeah, um yeah, look at that that that's that's the motion I suppose um and you know it's it's actually it's actually quite funny because um you know we we we've, we've worked on the last time that the GAA uh published the uh the the I suppose the the registered members and I suppose on that based on that calculation the, the net result of that would be that a good proportion of now Dublin would still receive the most games in development funding yeah. by by margin but a, a large like degree of Dublin, yeah, a la yeah, exactly. A large degree of Dublin's games and development funding would then end up getting redistributed back uh, to to the other counties. Um, but yeah, look at it's um, so that that that's the basis that that we that we've put it together um, in in that way. Um, but you know, I I mean, I suppose my my work like a kind of. Um, Maybe it's got why I do what I do. Like I, I'm a, a, a barrister, but you know, it's I I I just I unfairness just doesn't uh, I suppose sit with me, and I'm I'm actively involved uh, in in the club at home uh, in Athlone and kind of committee level and and coaching underage teams and everything like that. And I know I recently talked to um, a, a, a somebody from who was actually Ballinas Low GA Club, who you know a kind of a rich history in in Galway football. And you know, like they're just struggling so badly 
to get um, to get players down and 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 to to you know really kind of energize their their club membership and all that. And I suppose we just feel that like this redistribution of uh, a lot of the money that's going towards Dublin in circumstances where there there are clubs in Dublin that on top of the um, uh, GPOs and part funded GPOs uh, that they have part funded by the GA. They're they're employing full time staff, like uh, off their own bat, completely off their own bat. Yeah. When when down the country we, we we just have to rely on solely on volunteers who can't go into the schools. You know they, they work nine to five. They can't dedicate the time to put coach education structures in place. And so look at it, it's just it's just simply not fair. And I mean, as you said, I mean. God, if, if if I don't look, I I kind of took the view after writing my letter that got an awful lot of uh, like traction on social media. I had found myself in a position where, God, I can't just sit by now and not continue on with this. So, God, for rightly or wrongly, I, I I'm I'm there now, and I I you know I suppose we're not going to go away really, you know. Yeah, you've opened up a can of worms for yourself now until 2022. So you you instead of going training in the evening, this is your new hobby. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I suppose the, the one thing about about lockdown and maybe working from home and that kind of thing, I've had uh, a little bit of uh, extra time to to work on this, you know. And look at it. I think it, it's there are there are far bigger issues out there that we're all dealing with at the moment. But God, if we didn't have uh, something to to, to give out about it, or, and then GA uh, to occupy our minds, we'd all we'd all probably be going mad. So. Um, look at like it is. It's it's something that um, that 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 uh, there's a, a number of us kind of working in the background. We're we're, we're passionate about. Um, no, but you're right. You're right to continue it on, though, John. Because like I mean, even last year when we saw the GEA accounts being decimated because of you know the 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 lack of crowds at games, Dublin still got seven hundred and forty five thousand six hundred ninety five in games development grants, and that represented twenty four twenty five percent of the entire country. So like I mean, even though we're in a, a a situation where the accounts have been decimated, they're allocation has actually increased in that year from 2019 it was 16% so like i mean this just simply can't go on and i thought it was funny when you had to you know it's like you always have to say it and i say it on the podcast i'm not anti dublin now or anything like i mean you have to keep reminding people because it can get a little bit vicious online with the dublin supporters all you're asking for here is that that games development money is spread around the country in a fair manner and like i mean yeah. how can that be criticised. And even for the Dublin fans that listen, don't worry. You're putting a million euros in the bank every year. You can still bump it up with the money that you generate yourself. Dublin won't be any worse off. The other counties, it will be distributed fairly. So I just cannot see how there could be an opposition to this. Yeah. Look, it it, it, it would. It kind of, but look, um, I suppose I, I'm not... I'm not casting aspersions in any, but but John Fogarty, if anyone hasn't had a had a chance to to read it, uh, released a very good article on uh, I suppose the ten steps to become a, a GAA president. So it might that might shed some light in terms of why certain administrators aren't I suppose in favour of interfering with the uh, with Dublin. But like, you know, it should it should really be like pushing an open door, Woolly and. Yeah. But but and like you know, as you said, it's not it's not anti-Dublin. It's really not. And and, and I I've kind of been criticised by some sectors of of the Dublin uh, supporters saying, look, you know, this 
Uh, do you realise what what you're doing here? Like, I mean, you, this is this is money that's going towards young kids in Dublin who could, like, you know, be turning towards crime and that kind of thing. And I, I said, like, hang on, lad. There, there is more to life outside of Dublin. You know, I mean, I come from a town of a, a town, the town of Atlone, twenty two thousand people. Like, only I suppose for the success of Gary Castle. Like, we're GAA in Atlone is, like, I think. Even favourably, it's the th- it's the third choice sports in Athlone. Like the GA, you know, Pat Gilroy argued on the Sunday game that the GA is lo- they're losing the battle between the canals. Well, they've been losing the battle down in Athlone and and towns like that. Yeah. Even even Galway, if you look at Galway, like the inner city in Galway, I mean, you know, their their, their penetration levels in there are are way down, you know, yeah. and. Like it, we, they've been losing the battle down in towns like Athlone for a very long time, and I mean we have to get these kids down to our club as well. But as I said, we're relying on volunteers who can't go into the schools. If we even had a, a fraction of the um, the the games development funding that went into uh, Dublin towards the late nineties and two thousand, you know we, we we'd have far better membership numbers down at Athlone, far better numbers in Gary Castle, Galway, Ballinasloe, Cork, all these kind of places, but. You know, it's it's just when when you hear then. I mean, I I, I had an interview with the Irish Times with with Patsy, and then kind of the first thing he did, he kind of threw some uh, numbers at me where he it was different kind of population figures than say what we had used. You know, so I kind of said to Patsy, "Well, look, I can't really comment on them until you give me the figures and 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 uh, and I can have a, have a look at them." Now, you know, straight after that, literally within weeks. The GA's own accounts show that Dublin's funding, as you said, Woolley, actually increased for 2019 in terms of uh, in proportion to the rest of the county. Like it was just, you know, I mean, hearing that from a, a, a senior administrator in Leinster and, and the GA, and then and then the accounts come out a number of weeks later and contradict uh, exactly what he says. But a big a big thing to remember, Woolley, uh, in this as well, like. The games development funding, right? It's it's one thing, but you know, it's the sustainability of Dublin County Board and its clubs to actually pr- provide this themselves. And and for yeah. the clubs that do need an extra hand, the County Board. I mean, they're 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 producing figures that you know some some big companies would be envious of in terms of their their profit turnover, like. They, the, the county board can certainly uh, sustain the clubs that are that are struggling in Dublin, and those I suppose we call them super clubs in Dublin. Like I mean, they are just they're absolute behemoths, really. Like you know, yeah. Um, and and I I, I was in on a Westmead uh, county board call there the other day. Westmead county board just announced a, a massive uh, fundraising drive to um, I suppose they not not even redevelop Cusick Park in Mullingar. But actually, just to bring it up to a standard where it won't get closed down by health and safety, like, you know, and this is one thing that Dublin don't have to worry about either. Like, they don't have to worry about these big kind of infrastructure. Now, they'll say that they bought land out in the spa well for their clubs. Like, I know that there's there's outlets out there that are paying massive rents to to Dublin as well in respect to that, too. So, I mean... County boards around the country are so distracted with fundraising uh, that, and Dublin don't. Dublin County Board don't have to worry about that to the same extent by no. by any stretch of the imagination. So, like 
they, Dublin would be more than able to fund their own coaching and games development structures. It's it's just at, at this stage now, you know, it, it it just needs to change. Like Sean Kelly, who is, I suppose, he 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 was the guy who kind of got the ball rolling on all this. He comes out publicly and he says it needs to change. Like Liam Mulvihill comes out publicly and says he needs to change. So you'd really have to question what is the motivation of the administrators who are coming out and saying no, we don't need to touch Dublin's funding. We can leave it, um, leave it as it is. <laughs> you know, I think you know John Fogarty made a good point on that in, in his piece during the week. I think I, th- I think you make a good point in that the battle, the battleground with other sports is not a unique thing to Dublin. It's like that's a very good point that a lot of the time when you think about it, oh, Dublin need that money because. And the other important point here is is Dublin will still get the majority of it because pro rata they will still deserve the majority of it. They're just right now they're getting maybe double of what they sh- you know or I don't know if it's double of the Matsburg. They're getting way way more than they should be getting in the interest of fairness. One f- last one, John, before I let you go. Have you had any contact with the Dublin County Board on it or or anything? No, no, no. Look at um, I haven't. No, uh, and I wouldn't expect to, to be perfectly honest with you, because like I mean, why would the Dublin County Board come out and say anything when it's clear? Like I had to, I sometimes have to remind myself when I'm speaking to administrators, like uh, in length, in like say, you know, with I, I, as I said that interview with Patty, and 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 hearing comments from uh, you know Milton and 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 Tom Ryan, you kind of have to remind yourself that wait a minute, these guys aren't actually spokespeople for Dublin County Board. They're meant to be the, the neutral independent guys who are running the entire show. Like it, it kind of seems like, you know, I, sometimes we're that's there on the other side of the debate on behalf of Dublin County Board. So yeah. look, I, I don't, I, I, I tongue slightly in cheek when I say that, but uh, no, I wouldn't expect them to say anything, but sure, why would they say anything like, I mean, because they no. clearly, you know, they're the beneficiaries of a, of an equitable system, like so, I think their their view is probably to leave well enough alone, and hopefully things stay the way uh, it, it stay the way they are. And certainly, it would it would appear to be, um, you know, the the view of the powers that be in the GA that it should stay where they are. So that's why we say, look, we're gonna we're gonna empower the clubs. We're gonna send this motion out to each of the clubs. Have 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 the clubs take ownership of the motion themselves. Get it through their executives get it through their county congress so hopefully when this motion arrives in at congress in 2022 we can have you know uh, like i mean the view would be at least one club in every county uh in in the country bringing that forward which will hold significant weight you know the, the ga yeah. is meant to be a democratic association so we'll see how, how it plays out but look at I, I just i suppose before we finish up if i could just say that if, if any uh people involved in their clubs if 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 uh they haven't either, for some reason, haven't received our motion or any of our correspondence. Feel free to to get in to get in touch, um, like on on my social media or something like that. And we'd be glad to to set up a meeting with them or or, or anything at all that we can do to help. So, um, yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, already contact me or the show, and we'll pass on the message um, to John. If you can't find him on social media, I'm sure I'm sure they will be able. But just in case, John, come here. Thanks very much. Best to look with that motion. Thanks for taking the call. Yeah, no worries. Thanks a million for having me on, Willie. Take care. Yeah, great stuff from John there. Like, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to argue against only wanting fairness. So I don't want to talk any more about that, uh, Connor. Because another story caught my eye um, during the week, and that was Kerry appoint Pat Fla- Falvey. Um, he was appointed as the performance coach for the Kerry senior squad. Now, who is Pat Falvey? 
Pat Falvey is an explorer. He's a mountaineer. Um, he has some impressive qualifications, you know, as a yeah, as an explorer and as a mountaineer. He did some peaks challenge and he explored all sorts of places. And I was just looking at this going, you know, a bit of this is tongue in cheek, but we can find out what hell is going on here. Like uh, Kerry flopped against Cork last year tactically. They were a disaster. Absolute disaster tactically. Now you tell me what a mountaineer and an explorer is going to come in as a performance coach. Now, performance coaches get my back up a little bit, uh, Connor, because it's so generic and it's so nonsense. So I was reading the, the, the following day and Pat Falvey actually uh, clarified what he was going to do. So he says, as Paddy O'Shea famously once said, the difference between winning and losing at the top level could be a grain of rice. I want to be that grain of rice. I want to be a small cog in the wheel that gets Kerry to win in All-Ireland. Fair enough. I'll take that. That's grand. Kind of generic stuff. You know, the grain of rice stuff, grand. Then he continues on. My job is to help inspire and motivate players as individuals and then as a team moving forward as a unified force. Excuse me, Pat, but that's Peter Keane's job. I'll just read that to you again. My job is to help inspire and motivate players as individuals and then as a team moving forward as a unified force. Does Pat think he's coming in as the Kerry manager, Connor, or does he think he's coming in as a performance coach? Or is he like me? He hasn't a notion what a performance coach actually does. <laughs> oh, how do you respond to that? Uh, <laughs> I do, listen, listen, I, 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 don't, I don't really know. Like, I think, first of all, Willie, I think it's a stretch to say, right, Kerry were poor tactically against Cork. So, oh, listen, we've hired Pat Falvey. You know, that, that wasn't what they needed to do. Had they had a successful year, you know, and then they appointed Pat Falvey, we would probably be looking at it in a different mindset. Oh, look at they're 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 looking to move uh, on. Next no, I don't say we here now. Say oh. you maybe. Don't don't throw me into that. I won't throw I won't throw it in. <laughs> so listen, so there's a bit of corporate speaking there, right? You know, um, I want to be a small cog in the wheel. My job is to inspire, motivate, using good words like resilience and stuff like that. So the only thing I can speak of, Willie, is what you've hinted at it already, is that. Pat Falvey isn't the first performance coach, right, in the GA in the last uh, few years. And the big one that, that the main one that comes to mind for me is Bernard Dome with Dublin, but also Gary Keegan with Dublin, who's um who's obviously involved in Irish boxing, like Bernard Dunn as well. And just all all I know of Gary Keegan is any 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 time he's been mentioned by any Dublin player, and they all testify to how big a role he played in um in Dublin success in the last couple of years. Bernard Broger mentions it multiple times in his book and cannot say enough. So, like, you know, you get, there's a danger of reading into it and being like thinking, oh, this is just pie in the sky stuff, whatever. But there, there seems to be testimony from high performing GA teams in recent years that these kind of figures can can make a difference. And listen, like I was reading, Pat Falvey, is, I think he's the only man or he's the first man to complete the, complete the seven summits twice. Um, so like the All-Ireland to me sounds like a piece of piss in comparison so if you can do that you know good luck to him yeah I, I was reading a tweet when I was tweeting about this and it says he's going to teach them how to walk up the, the steps in the Hogan stand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway can't through the Hogan stand whenever I think of performance coaches I think of Bernard Dunn because he was a sports performance and lifestyle coach for Dublin and I was always scratching my head is what the hell is he doing in here and like I mean you know oh, I, I just I still can't understand it and he finished in 2017 and it's crazy how Dublin won four All-Irelands without him um, since, since he actually left. Carolyn Courid is the, is the big one, but she's a performance psychologist, right? So she's a sports psychology background. So I can see 
Um, I don't know how good she is. Like some players you talk to say that she's she's brilliant. And then I spoke with other players who go, actually, ah, look, you're just having a conversation. It's not, you know, it's not the, the end of the world. But she's a sports psychologist and a performance coach. And she teases things out with players and gets to the bottom with a sports psychology background. See, Bernard Dunn, Pat Falvey, these lads don't have that. Do you get do you get what I mean? I can I can completely understand Caroline Coorid's one, but I can't understand these other ones. It's exposure to another high performance environment, I suppose. You know, like like Neil Fitzpatrick was another one, um, along like similar to I think she was involved with Mayo, a few other teams. Caroline Curd is the, like the obvious one with GA, various teams, Irish rugby team and stuff. And yes, their their professional background is in psychology or you know, whereas Pat Falvey is just like he seems to be an incredibly motivated individual who's who's like achieved a lot in his life. Like what can he bring professionally? I'm not sure, but it's just Again, Willie, I like I, I tend to be maybe a little bit skeptical, but I mean, if Peter Keane is looking at this, you said there, Caroline Carrad, some people will say this and some people say the other. If Peter Keane is thinking, well, if 10, 10 of my players or five of my players get a boost off Pat Falvey and can really bounce off him and it improves yeah. their performance, well, then he's thinking that's what he's thinking. I, I, but I get the skepticism with regard to, you know, is it a, is a bit of a stunt or like, is there something really kind of tangible that that, that these teams can gain from it? Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I don't know. It'd be like a, it'd be like an Olympic athlete asking me to come in to give them advice or, you know, I, I, OK, a, a GA player that was more successful than me. Like one's an individual sport, the other's a team sport. You know, I just don't think there's enough crossover. Anyways, I leave it there because I, I, you're not going to convince me. And I'm I'm you're you're obviously you're more enthusiastic about it um, than I am. And then I'm 42. Maybe I'm just too old to understand this stuff. And I'm going to turn into a Pat Spillanjo, Brawley type character when I'm older. And I won't understand all this new nonsense that they're that they're all doing and you just turn into exactly the way your father and everything is i understand that's how it works it's not the older pundits fault we're all going to turn into them so that's the way it's going to work one last story before i go is uh quinn's pub it's been knocked down for apartments connor kind of end of an era here with quinn's pub i don't know if you mayo uh people more dublin crowd maybe outside quinn's although because she's on a non-dublin day uh, would be in there. It's been knocked down for apartments. I think it was closed down anyways because of feces overflowing from the toilets or something. <laughs> it was definitely closed down at some stage. I used to live around the corner from Quinn's, uh, Woolly, on uh, Iona Road there. So, like, it was the first when I came down the bottom of the road going to match days. Uh, it was my first. I didn't always stop there, but it was it was the first kind of uh, GA pub where you'd see fans outside. And it wasn't necessarily, there was obviously a lot of dubs, but it just tended to be a mixture of kind of all sorts. But um, yeah. it wasn't for me. My, my spot was always, um, or is always, and has always been, it's uh, Phil Ryan's, it's Hogan Stand. Ah, that's our one too. Yeah, that's an old, that's the one we go to as well. Yeah, I like it there. Yeah. Well, like the, the way it seems to be in Mayo is that like different towns or different clubs seem to have different pubs. And uh, yeah. and was always a was a catch mall one. And one that I even the lads I used to go to school, we'd still gather there before before match day. But like, listen, in fairness to Quinn's, the, what I would say about it is because it was so close to me, the odd time of a Monday, I used to go down and maybe if Monday night football was on, I might go down and watch a match. And it was a sorry sight on a Monday, I can tell you, compared to a match day. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's no... Because the thing about Quinn's on the Sunday is that you're... 99% of the time you're walking in there and you have a hangover from the night before. Um, number two, it's really dark. And the match... Yeah. The, when the match finishes, music comes on and you think you're in a nightclub. And this yeah. is only at four o'clock in the day and the music's blaring. And suddenly you come out at about seven or eight o'clock. You might have shifted a young one and you think you're going home for the night and it's eight o'clock. <laughs> like, I mean, it's absolutely hilarious but all bets are off but this is the thing so you watch the match 
you're not really paying attention to it. You're talking a lot of nonsense. And the minute the final whistle blows, nobody gives a shit about analysis. I'd say people are just waiting for the for the for the match to be over. And then you have a song like this comes on. Don't stop Yeah, 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 pretty much, pretty much. And like, to be honest, like on match days as well, there would like, especially maybe a couple of hours before kickoff, it would get that packed that you you had no control over where you were moving. You just had to go wherever the crowd was. It was getting a bit kind of dangerous at times. But um, I, I, I used to stop there occasionally. As, as I said, Hogan Sand was one for me. And the other one was, if I could break, like the one pub for me along that street that was real Dublin uh, stronghold was McGrath's. But I used to like going in there for a pint if I could brave kind of uh, meeting the Dublin folk in my Mayo jersey. But but just seeing apartments there instead of Quinns, it will. It'll be it'll be the end of an era with the big trees closed down as well. These are institutions of Crow Park, uh, Woody. So it'll be sad to see them go. They definitely will. They definitely will. Right, we've run out of time. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, Connor. See you then. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas, he get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.